Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah, pick up tonight in chapter 58 and 59, and remind you that we're just a few chapters from the end. The prophet Isaiah is dealing now with the children of Israel. They're about to go into a time of captivity. Babylon is going to come. They'll destroy the city. They will destroy the temple. The temple will need to be rebuilt. And God is now going to, in essence, tell them why it is that they're going into captivity. God's giving them a little bit of foresight. So while they're spending that 70 years in Babylon, that they would understand and think on the, the, the reasons, if you will, that they ended up there. And so God is still dealing with the injustice of the children of Israel and this kind of this indictment against them. We're about to head to this beautiful picture uh, of, the, of the very last days as we get towards the end of this book. And again, remind yourself that this is now the equivalent of making it really to the book of Revelation for the most part uh, in the New Testament. And it's now going to be speaking forth of these truths that will largely apply to the very last days, specifically to the tribulation first and then to the millennial reign of Christ. But before we get there, it's rather like why God speaks in the book of Revelation to us and says to the seven churches, these are the things that I have against you. This is the reason there's a problem. This is the reason these things are happening to you. And so we pick up in verse 1 in chapter 58 as God finishes this indictment of the injustice that is found in the land of Israel. And there are many lessons that we can learn Uh, As the church, even though these applied to Israel very specifically, um, these same things that the Lord is going to point out here apply to us tonight. And so would you join me? We'll pray, and we'll pick up here in verse 1 in chapter 58 of the book of Isaiah. Father, thank you. Lord, that you care enough to speak to us. Lord, that you love us so much that uh, you show us paths of righteousness, and you show us what injustice looks like and unrighteousness looks like. And so, God, as we read these verses and study them, as we ponder them in our hearts, would you help us, Lord, to learn the principles that are contained here? Lord, we don't want to sin against you, and we certainly don't want to have hindered prayer lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you teach us tonight by your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 here in chapter 58, cry aloud and spare not. And you're going to see in this first one, this is a commonly misinterpreted passage because it seems so blatantly positive. When in fact, if you look at the original language, this is God actually bringing an indictment against the children of Israel. Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression, the house of Jacob their sins. So it's really clear in verse 1 what's happening. But then notice what is said in verse 2. Yet they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness, 
and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me of the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And so what is going on here? What is Isaiah really saying? And if you look at this in the original language of Hebrew, what God is trying to get across to them is like, here's what I'm saying to you. I want you to know your fault. In response, here's what you're doing. Here's how you're responding. Oh, you're going to church. You're spending all kinds of time praying. You're doing all kinds of religious things. You're acting holy. You bought brand new Bibles. You put bumper stickers on your mules. You've done all these things. You all are wearing crosses around your neck. And again, I'm putting this into a more modern vernacular for you. It's as if God was saying, you're, you're doing on the outside all these things that look like they're really holy, like you really care about me. They were doing their religious duty. Maybe they showed up at church and they got a selfie with Jesus. You know, perhaps they posted an Instagram post. It's like, look, here I am, I'm in the third row, you know, kind of thing. You see, we as people are prone to want other people to see us doing our religious duties. And that was very true for the nation Israel. And it's true in our nation today. It's true in our world today. People sometimes are more inclined to to go to church if they know someone that knows them will see them. Why is that? Because sometimes we think in the doing of those things that we're actually okay with God. Can I tell you that God's looking past the things that we do? Past the things that other people would see, maybe watch about our lives, the number of bumper stickers on your car. God's not actually impressed by the number of bumper stickers on your car. Or the size of the cross that's in your living room. Or your autographed picture of Jesus that you happen to have somehow. You see, the children of Israel were really proud of the fact that they went to temple. But when they left the temple, they went back to homes that were unaffected by the word of God. Unchanged by their relationship with the Lord. They went to church as a matter of show, as a matter of practice, as a matter of principle. And in fact, this is the very accusation that the Lord Jesus himself makes against the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And about them, I know your works. Jesus says there in Revelation 3 verses 15 to 17, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is a sad condemnation of the Jewish people 
as they've watched God deliver them from the oppression of the Assyrians. And they fail to realize that God actually was looking for real change. And so instead of instituting that real change in their hearts, they just simply went to church more. They went to temple. And the same hypocritical dichotomy exists in in the world today. And God is still interested in exactly what he was interested here in, in the book of Isaiah in us as New Testament believers. The principle is really unchanged. The way we meet these principles by grace through faith is very different. We're no longer bound by the law. We're not pressured in by these external things that the Jewish people were expected to keep. But God is still looking at our hearts. He cares what's in here. You know, sometimes I think we think that we fool God. You know, we go to church. How's it going, brother? How's it going, sister? Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? And then before you make it to your car in the parking lot, you're talking trash about somebody's character. You're you're in the flesh before you get home. God is concerned about the condition of our heart. And if our hearts are right, they're not just right because we go to church. They're right because we have encountered the true and the living God and he dwells in us. And wherever we go, he goes. And the principles that we find in here go in here and they come out here. The prophet Jeremiah is actually prophesying at the same time. And so here are Isaiah and Jeremiah speaking to the children of Israel in Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah's prophecy over the the region that was governed by the great King Josiah, good king, by the way, popular, but there was a lot of religion going on in his day too. And to, to this young boy, Josiah, the Lord prophesies through Jeremiah, Don't trust in these lying words in Jeremiah 7, verse 4, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. They had begun to worship a building instead of the God inside the building. Instead of the Holy One of Israel, they were worshiping a religious system. And this is just an area where we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because I think what's happened really for me, especially in this last year, is I've watched the church kind of morph into a a pseudo-political religious entity that somehow is trying to blend together all of these things that are actually parts of the world and, and we're trying to be something that the church was never intended to be. And instead of worshiping the Lord Most High, we're worshiping other things. We need to be really careful because those, they, who worship the Lord, worship him in spirit and in truth. And he sees past all these things. 
God's basically crying out against the fact that the religion that they expressed was an external thing. It was not an internal thing. Behind all of the activity and the beauty of the things that went on in the temple, the things that God himself actually had ordained. And that's the crazy part about this. The Lord gave them the temple. The Lord gave them the sacrifices. The Lord himself preordained what these things would be and that they would speak really of Jesus in large part. But they'd turned that into just kind of a show as we were worshiping. I don't know how many of you experience this, but very often when I'm worshiping, I kind of forget where I am. I would like to think that in that moment of just expressing my heart towards God, I end up somehow in heaven. Just for a moment. As God is working that work in our lives, we're to be drawing near to him, and as we do that, he will draw near to us. But if it's just perfunctory praise, if it's just the song section of the worship service, then those songs are, are no different. You're bebopping down the road, listening to the radio, singing some other tune. That is to be our hearts inclined to heaven. Seeking the praise that comes out of the soul of our being to the ears of the almighty God who saved us. Let us never be like this. God's now going to illustrate this even further by pointing out their phony fasting. Now, I, I sometimes marvel, and I don't mean to be uber-critical here, but I was reading these articles today, and it was just all about, you know, virtual Ash Wednesday, and you can come and get, a, you know, an ash cross put on your forehead and all those kind of things. The Bible actually says, Jesus himself actually said, don't do that. When you fast, Jesus said, do not let anyone know that you're doing it. It's between us and God. Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say? Have you not seen? They're talking to God. God's saying, look, your, your church service is not in your heart. It's just someplace you go. And, and so they say, you have not seen, God. Why have we afflicted our souls? You take no notice. In other words, it's as if God's not watching. Whenever you feel like this, you really should ask yourself the question, is there a reason God might not be watching? Is there a reason God might not be listening? Because the truth of the matter is, God can't turn himself off. He always can see, he always can hear, and he always does. The question is, is he going to respond? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find no pleasure. You exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. You strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do in this day, to make your voice heard on high. 
Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush that would be like a cattail on the edge of a pond? How the wind hits them, they just blow over. And to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day unto the Lord? In other words, God's saying, do you think that's what I want out of you? Is that what you really think I want? Is this supposed to be an outward show? Is this supposed to be about you at all? Church is about the Lord. That's what church is about. Temple was about the Lord. They were supposed to be going to meet with the Lord, not to go show everybody, hey, I'm here. You know, kind of check your little box off. Now, I know none of you do this, but I can remember when I I was young in the Lord. I honestly thought that one of the pastors for sure kept the list of who was at church, and I was going to get a phone call if I didn't. So I would go hunt one of them down just to make sure they saw me. It's just like, I, you know, they're keeping track. They're, whoo, didn't get my check mark by my name, you know. No, God's not taking attendance roles if you're here or not. He wants to know, are you and he square? Are you good with him? You see, God didn't care about the way they did their fast and how it looked to everybody else. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Beginning there in verse 16 and 17. Moreover, Jesus himself says this. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. This is one of the reasons I have a problem with you going and getting some ashes and putting a cross in the middle of your forehead. Because God already knows where your heart is, and he does not need an ash cross on your forehead to figure that out. The only reason that anyone does that is so other people will know that it's done. That's it. It could serve no heavenly purpose whatsoever. Because God doesn't need that information. I know that seems critical. But it's true. And so what did Jesus say? Don't disfigure your face that you may appear to be fasting for Lent or any other time. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. In other words, the ashes on your forehead are your reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, check this out, and wash your face. Those are the words of Jesus. In other words, you don't need any dirt. You've been washed and been made white as snow. Your sins have been forgiven. Your debt's been cleared up in heaven. Wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. In other words, you're not to let someone else know that you're even doing it. You don't wander around going, hey, I'm fasting today, you know, can't you see? Look how miserable I am. Don't I look like I'm fasting? 
But, I love this. So this is the person who's washed their face and doesn't look like they're fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. God doesn't need the info. He doesn't need you to look all gaunt. doesn't need you to carry around your sack of kale. Yes, I'm fasting. He needs your heart to be inclined to heaven so that you and he are in close communion, fellowship, koinonia. Not gaunt, but happy, joyful, expectant that the Lord is going to speak something fresh and something new, something revelatory into your life. That's what God wants. He doesn't want fake church. He doesn't want to show. He he can see right through all of the things that we do to try and impress other people with how holy we are. I've shared with you before. I mean, I was firmly convinced the bigger your Bible, the more holy you were. If you got one that was really heavy to carry around, I mean, if it was painful to carry that King James study Bible around, that had to be better than, you know, the slimline ones. It's like I'm carrying my, Lord, the burden of your word is with me. Don't be like that. God wants a relationship with you that's filled with his joy and his peace. His kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. About these things, there is no law, the Apostle Paul said. That's what God wants. When, When you want to hear more from the Lord, get closer to him. You don't need to impress other people. It's never been helpful. So come, come into the house of the Lord. Yes, bring your pains. Yes, bring your sorrows. No better place but come and say, Lord, these weights I have, would you make this this burden that I'm carrying easy? Would you lighten the yoke that's on my neck? You, You see, fasting, like any other spiritual discipline, is only a spiritual discipline when it's spiritual. That may sound strange to you, but I can't tell you how many people do seemingly spiritual things for carnal reasons to be seen. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. For your Father who sees in a secret place is the one that you're really trying to say, God, this is for you. I don't care if anybody else sees me. I don't care, church. Let me say something to you. And I hope you take this in the way that it's intended. If you can't link two notes together, you can still praise the Lord. Because it's not what comes out of here, it's what comes out of here. Now for those of you, amen? Because not everybody has... 
a voice like Lauren or Alex. I know, because I've heard some of you really praise the Lord. But I want you to know that what God hears is the same thing that he hears when Lauren sings. To God's ears, it's music. You're not singing to just have other people hear you. You are voicing your heart towards the King of Kings. Be released in that. And say, Lord, this is you made my lungs. You made my vocal cords. You made my mouth. You made my mind. And I'm giving that back to you in praise and adoration. Amen? Amen. You see, because some people go, I can't sing, so I don't worship the Lord. It has nothing to do with you being able to sing. Nothing. I wish we all had already the voices of angels. Some of us, we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to have that voice. (laughs) But you can still praise today. You can still worship today, and it can still be real today. You see, if I'm going to afflict my soul and fast, I want it to be for the right reason. It's like, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Lord, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to pick up this cross of hunger. Because I so want to hear your voice. I'm going to, I'm going to deny my flesh and beat my flesh up. Bring it into submission, God. Because I want just a little more of you. That's the reason we fast. It's the only reason to fast. When you get hypocritical, you're going to find one of the effects of it is injustice. One of the reasons that I have stated from this pulpit many times that the actual cause of injustice of every kind, but specifically racial injustice, is because the hearts of men are wicked. That's the reason. It's a heart problem. That heart problem has infiltrated into our society. And because our society is not fully redeemed, and because we are not inclined towards the Lord, these things come out of us. That's where those things come from. Every kind of injustice. That's why people take advantage of the poor. That that is why we have these things in our society. These are the results of people not living with God in view. Because if you live with God in view, then you're going to see everybody the way he sees them. Created in his image with beauty and value and purpose and meaning. You wouldn't dream of taking advantage of someone else. It's unconscionable to the person who truly loves God. You cannot see your brother who has need and do nothing about it. It will strike at your soul. Your heart will not be at peace. You'll have to do something. So when you see someone who's in that place, that is a heart issue. That 
that's why the church needs to focus its attention on the right thing. Redeemed people who are truly walking with Jesus don't do those kind of things. Because we've been transformed. Our minds have been renewed. I look at people, I go, Lord, help me to be a great neighbor. Help me to be an awesome friend. Help me to see that need. If I can do something about it, Lord, I want to do something. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility to do something about it. Verse 6. Here comes the the trumpeting of these injustices. And because both these chapters are very long in their explanation of several things that are very similar, we're going to cover a lot of ground here. But you'll see why we're going to take these all at once. Is this not the facet I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? That you break every yoke? This is what I actually want. You see, I don't want the fake, phony church. I don't want the ash cross on your forehead. I want your heart so redeemed that you go do something about someone's poverty. That you take care of some injustice. That you see a homeless person and care that they're homeless. That when you're in the world, that what has happened in your heart is so pervasive in who you are that you can't help yourself but to do something about these things. God says, is this not the fast I have actually chosen? Break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? You see what he's saying here? Here's what you shouldn't do. And he puts... Three verses to that. Here's what you should do. That you bring your house to the poor who are cast out. When you see naked, that you cover him. That you not hide yourself from your own flesh. I think the world's become a place that can see others' needs and do nothing about it because we're hiding in our own flesh. It doesn't affect me. On my neighborhood, I don't care about it. Then your light shall break forth in the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, don't try and pull the wool over my eyes. I can tell that your fast is fake because you're not doing what you should actually do with your life. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead, church. It's always been dead. If your faith doesn't do a work in you and that work doesn't do a work out of you, you have dead faith. Now, maybe you're a child of God. I'm not going to judge whether you're going to heaven or not. If you made a profession of faith, I'll just stand on the grace of God with that regard. But I can tell you, your faith is dead. It's not living faith. It's not live faith. Then you should call the Lord, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he shall say, here I am. If you take away the yoke of them from in your midst... 
the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones, and you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those among you shall build the old waste places, and you shall rise up the foundations. For many generations you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing the pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day that is honorable to the Lord, and honor him, not doing your own way, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills and to feed with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken this. You see the difference between the introduction to this chapter and the rest of it? It's like God couldn't care less about the church service. He cares about the hearts of the people that are in church. You know, sometimes we're so worried about the building and worried about the clothing and we're worried about the way that we stand or whether we're up or whether we're down or the lights are on or the lights are off. We're worried about all these things and God's saying, look, have you fed the poor? Have you taken care of the needy? And I don't want to be harsh and I I don't mean to yell. But what I'm saying is, faith without works is dead. Instead, it always shows, if you truly love the Lord, then you can't help but love other people, especially hurting ones. Especially people who have suffered injustice. Especially people whose hearts are rent And going through things they shouldn't go through because society has whacked them. This is one of the reasons that, church, I I have been on a mission of late when people talk to me about this whole political thing. I haven't seen a political solution to any of these things in all of my years on this earth. Now we have things that we can do. But God doesn't say here, well, go to your government and feed the poor. It says, Jeffrey Scott Gill, you go feed the poor. It says, you go tend to their needs. It doesn't assign that duty to government. It leaves it in the church. Amen? That's why the church has always had that role. And the church has gotten away from it. And because what's happened is the church has gotten big and fat and healthy. The church is now concerned about doing church and not concerned about doing ministry. And there's a difference between those two things. This is kind of a warning. We need to be careful, church, that we do not get caught up in religious duties. And forget why we are here on this earth. God hates hypocrisy. He hates injustice. He can't stand it when we walk through these doors on Sunday and they do not affect us, 
when we go to work on Monday. We shouldn't be able to do that. I should have been so affected by what has happened in my heart when I come in contact with the true and the living God. When you have been in the throne room of God every single occasion to where someone contacts closely with the Lord in Scripture, guess where they end up? On their face before him. It's like, Lord, I can do better. That's a church. Let's be the church that lives these things. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be a giving church. Let's be a forgiving church. Let's be a vibrant church. Let's be a church that does. You know, as I sit here and look at all the opportunity that we have right now around the world, we're taking a lot of that very seriously. We need to drag the rest of the body in with us. Those people, those friends that you have that are sitting on the sidelines going, well, you know, ministry is for somebody else. My job is actually to prepare you for the work of the ministry. It's not to do all the ministry myself. It's to prepare the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. So Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. So we can all do this together. The Lord delights in us when we delight in him. Chapter 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened so that he cannot save, nor is his ear heavy so that he cannot hear. So chapter 59 begins with, look, I can hear you. I can see you. I haven't lost one lick of my power. I'm not sitting in heaven going, oh no, I don't know what to do now. You know, they got, oh man, the government that they got. I'm stuck. God is not sitting in heaven going, I don't know what to do. They bombed another country today. Church, can we just together agree that God is still able? Amen? He's still mighty. He's still sovereign. He still possesses all power and all authority. His arm is not short. And he is not deaf. He's not looking at the world going, oh man, I can't, I don't know how that happened. There's a hidden question here, and you're going to see it momentarily. And that question is, Lord, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you doing something about it? How come we have this person in government? How come we don't have that person in government? What's happening here? I've watched so many Christians put their faith and hope and trust in a political system instead of in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's actually shocking to me. Last time I looked, there's not a single verse in the Bible that encourages believers to put their hope, faith, and trust in anything except the Lord. There isn't one verse. Doesn't say, well, you know, if your church isn't this or your church isn't that or you don't do this or you don't do that. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. So let's be careful. 
Because what's coming next? I think it's one of the problems that we face. But your iniquities, verse 2, have separated you from your God. When the church ceases being salt and light, when the church is not holy as he is holy, when we start doing our own thing, our own way, when we wander away from the Lord and towards the world, when we try and do do things the world's way, when we are more concerned about who's president than who's king, notice what it says. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Notice it doesn't say he cannot hear. It says, well, right now I'm going to put the phone on mute. I'm taking a little artistic license here for descriptive purposes. But imagine some of you have been around long enough. You remember when we used to all have phones on our desk and there's that mute button. And I'm sure some of you have had the experience where someone is, you know, saying things you don't want to listen to anymore, and you just go, and they're in the background going, you know, just going on and on and on and on. They have no idea that you've muted them. And then, you know, a couple minutes later, you turn them back on, and they're still going on and on and on and on and on. And you mute them again. Then after a while, oh, it's nice talking to you. Click. God is basically saying, I actually can hear you, but I'm not listening. Because you won't stop sinning. You want to keep doing it your way, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to mute you. By the way, David said the same thing in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me when I pray. You can't be wrong with God and expect him to be, praise the Lord, Jeff, you know, you've just been doing that sinning all day long, you know, what can I do for you? Right? Right? God's going, no, we got some other things to talk about. You who are parents in here. When your kids, you know, they have just set your backyard on fire. You go out there and there's an inferno. Your patio furniture is on fire. They've brought everything from inside the house into the backyard. There's a bonfire in your backyard. All your furniture is burning in the backyard. You're going to come out, wow, this is really nice. So what you guys been doing today? No, you're going to square the sin away first, aren't you? I would hope. It's like, we got to talk. What is the couch doing out here? It's the same thing with God. God said, look, we got to talk about some stuff first. We need to square this mess away before we can talk about the things you want to talk about. Let's talk about the things that I am that you're supposed to be. There's some house rules here. Church, sin can radically hinder your prayer life. Sin can radically hinder your prayer life. So that God, being omniscient, being omnipotent, being that one who always hears, he'll hit that mute button. It's like, I heard it, but you're not getting an answer on that one until we square some other things away. He's waiting for, I'm sorry, Lord. 
Basically, are you there, God? That's what we're saying. James put it this way, therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. James 4, verses 7 and 10. Submit to him. Submitting to him is bowing yourself down and saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. That's a part of confession. You're not going to confess anything if you don't realize it's wrong, right? You, you can't go, well, I don't know. You ever met that person, they come to apologize to you? Well, I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. Do you actually think that's an apology? You sure do not. Neither does God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Anybody been tugged the devil's way today? Your pastor has. There was some dude standing right outside my window, screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, I, I almost went down there. The devil's going, just go tell him to stop it. I found out later he was actually having a, some type of an episode. He needed medical attention. But the devil's going, go give it to him, Jeff. You know, you're the pastor here. Man, am I glad I didn't listen. But there for a moment, I had to resist. Lord, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's bugging me. It's messing with my chi right now. It's like I'm... My calm was gone. And he will flee from you. When you resist the devil and submit to God, those two things, submit to God, resist the devil, the devil says, I ain't getting nowhere here. And he goes walking. But if you don't do those two things, the devil's going to camp in your yard. He's going to bring a tent. He's going to be in your backyard. You're going to be getting your morning coffee. You're over there like Connie and I sit on the couch. We have our morning coffee together. And the devil's going to plant his, be- his behind. He's going to be right between the two of you. Say, so what's going on, Jeff? Why don't you just yell at her? Why don't you tell him what you really think about that idea he had yesterday? You see, you've got to submit yourself to God, and then you've got to resist the devil if you want to have any victory at all. If you don't do those two things, then you're going to have him following you around. And I'm not talking literally. He can send a demon to do that. He can send his emissaries. He might send somebody you know and love. Because he's got some folks to help him. And sometimes they attend the church. Right? You know what I'm saying? You you see, if you have a deceitful prayer life, then God's going, okay, Jeff, you work that out on your own. See how that works for you. You see if you've got any power over your enemy. Now, I want to intercede for you, but I'm going to sit right here and see how this works out. Because you won't submit to me, and you absolutely are not resisting the devil. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. In other words, repent. You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. There it is. That's the idea of hypocrisy right there. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. There's the process. Children of Israel were not doing that. They were going to church like nobody's business. 
Matter of fact, they were sitting in the front row. Not saying anything bad about you guys in the front row. But they were in the front row because, you know, everybody, you know, got right up there. It's preferred seating, valet parking. They wanted to be seen. God could care less where you're sitting in the building. He cares that your heart is inclined to heaven. Amen? So how does God see this problem? Because it's a problem. The remainder of this passage actually describes that. Because you see, it's not about your body position. The Jewish people used to pray with their hands up, typically. Especially the men. The men would open their hands as if they were asking, God, fill me. Put into my hands what you want me to have. And whether that's physical or whether that's spiritual, whether that's mental, something you need to know, if it's wisdom, Lord, deposit it into my hands, let me take it in. It was just an attitude, it was a posture. And sometimes, you know, we just, you know, we want to pray with our hands folded or clasped or on our knees. It actually isn't about that. That can be helpful for you. Maybe that helps you focus on the Lord. But from God's position, he's perfectly able to hear your prayers if you're laying flat on your back in a hospital bed. He can hear your prayers if you're standing up, if you're sitting down, if you're kneeling. For those of you that surf a little bit, he can, when, you're, when you've just been pounded by a wave, he can hear your prayers underwater. Amen? It's like, and we get so hung up on all this stuff. And it's the stuff that doesn't matter. God hears the help just as much as he hears, oh, holy one, most high in the heavens. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but God's not impressed by your King James English. He couldn't care less. He cares that whatever you say to him comes out of your heart and not out of some perfunctory way that you think he wants to be heard. Light a candle, don't light a candle. Take a prayer walk, don't take a prayer walk, but make sure your heart's right. Verse four, let's see if we can finish these up. And again, this will be a very much the same thing because you can see the repetition here. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. You ever prayed with that person whom you know that what they're actually doing with their prayer life is gossiping? You've been with that person? I have. Lord, forgive uh, Joe for his sin. You know, he really shouldn't have beat his wife. (laughs) You know what I'm, you've been around those people, right? You know exactly what I'm saying. What they're really doing is trying to tell you what they heard about someone else's sin. You take that stuff to God. Nobody else needs to hear it. Empty words conceive actually an evil. They hatch viper's eggs and weave spider's webs. He who eats of their eggs dies from what is crushed. A viper breaks out. In other words, if you let those eggs hatch, it's not going to be good. Their webs will not become garments. It's not silk. 
nor will they cover themselves with their works, for their works are of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. In other words, God sees right through all this stuff. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood, innocent blood. Their thoughts are the thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. You see what's being said here. You can tell by what fruit comes out of their life. It isn't what you say, it's what you do. I'm a saying that I love, when it's all said and done, more is said than done. It's an axiom, but it's true. You can always tell who somebody is by what they actually do. They might profess all day all kinds of things, but if they actually do it, you know that's who they really are. The way of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. They've made themselves crooked paths. And whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us. And you see this recurring theme of justice. Through the whole, whole rest of the chapter. Nor does righteousness overtake us. In other words, righteousness doesn't come out of these types of actions. We look for light, but there's darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like a blind man. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. In other words, you're making all kinds of noise, but none of it matters. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. In other words, when it's all said and done, the doing in this case has been stuff that dishonors the Lord, not honors the Lord. In the transgressing and lying against the Lord, departing from God, remember, he's telling them these things right before they go to Babylon. Here's why you're going to Babylon. Here's why you're going to be in bondage. Here's the reason you don't get to possess the land for a while. Those things are always a warning to us. And though they don't directly apply to the church in that way, because this is to Israel. And in its greatest sense, future, still yet to be seen in its fullness. But it does apply in the way that God's truth is always God's truth and his character is always his character and his morality is always his morality and the way he cares for innocent, harmed people, he still cares for them. Injustice, he still hates. For our transgressions are with us and our iniquities, we know them, Lord. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from God and speaking oppression and revolt and conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. And so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself prey. And then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. There it is. Look at this reoccurring theme. This is be doers of the word. 
this is do what it says. That this is not, you, you get to make up your own rules. This is, here's what I say you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. And therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. His own righteousness had sustained him. You see, the person who lives like this ultimately has to be their own salvation. Ultimately has to make their own way and it never works out. This is how God sees this problem. The greed of man, the the raging injustice that is all over our world. That's why, you know, the book of Hebrews is not one of those books that you want to read, you know, every other day. Unless you just like torturing yourself. But some of the truths in there are absolutely essential. And I actually love the book itself, but it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. It's not who God wants to be to us, but that is who he will be to us if we keep going the wrong way. We're children of grace. We're we're saved by grace and through faith. That's a gift. He gave it to us. But he still cares about what we do and how we conduct ourselves in this world. And if we're truly redeemed, then that redemption ought to work itself into everything that we do. Who we are in the grocery store. You know, you go in there, because you've got you know, that, that poor cashier that's bagging those groceries, because they missed the, everything that's underneath the cart... That is not God giving you a blessing. That is God giving you an opportunity to say, hey, you missed the stuff under the cart. Amen? We need to learn to live that way. Being beyond reproach. Not just above it, beyond it. It can't reach us. We refuse to go there. And again, I know none of us are perfect in these things, but these are, are the things that should mark our lives And so God sees no intercessor, no one to stand for righteousness, no one who will speak these truths to Zion so that they can be healed. And this passage ends with the picture that's leading forward into the next six chapters. The end of the book, basically. And it picks up Paul's theme there in Romans 11 that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the times of the Gentiles will be finished. They stayed blind like this and they went into captivity. They are still in that captivity to some degree. Oh, they came back. Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra. But they're still blind spiritually. Verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. Anybody remember where you might find that in the New Testament? It's there in Ephesians 6, isn't it? Isn't that the spiritual armor that we're supposed to put on? And put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. Clad with zeal as a cloak, according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. God ain't playing. Right now he is is forestalled. His wrath his anger. He's allowing sin to exist in this world. 
He said, I'm not going to extract the price that they should pay just yet. But he's not going to do that forever. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's coming coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming to be crucified again. He's coming as king, conquering king. In fact, when he returns, he's coming to do battle. We need to remember that. Right now is the day of salvation. Today is the day when you can still commit yourself to Christ and be saved by grace. It's going to get a whole lot harder when the church is out of this world. The coastlands who will repay with fury, that's another way of saying the entire world. The coast of all the rest of the world. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. But the Redeemer will come to Zion. Where is he coming? Zion, that's Israel. That's national Israel. One day Israel is going to see Messiah. And they're going to be saved. Why? To turn those from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. So I'm going to deal with the transgression of Jacob. They're finally going to see me. They're going to mourn him, Jesus, whom they pierced. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth or from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. God will keep his promise to Israel. One day they will all in mass be saved. It's going to take an overturning of the world's tables to do it. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. But in the meantime, God has laid down his rules for how we ought to be living right now. Just, peaceable, and kind. Tender-hearted. Seeing others' needs and saying, yes, Lord. Stepping into difficult places to speak forth the goodness of our God. The Lord's going to bring the Babylonians to deal with Judah. The Lord doesn't want to bring Babylonians into our lives. He wants us to walk in grace. And so he reminds us of these things. Our glorious kingdom is going to come. In the meantime we actually get to walk in the grace of God. That is nuts to me. Honestly, it's crazy to think that we get the privilege of being called God's sons and daughters, adopted into his family with all the rights and privileges, with the glory of heaven awaiting us. That he saved us from this wrath that is going to come on this earth and for the purpose of being salt and light in this world. Let us take up that banner and let us be absolutely everything God has asked us to be. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. If you're here tonight and 
Maybe you need prayer after service to something specific in your life. Prayer teams available in the prayer room. If you don't know Jesus, you do not want to walk out those doors without knowing Christ personally. And that's a real simple process. He made it so, so that everybody could come to him. It'll begin a journey that will square away all the stuff in your life that needs his attention. But he loves us. So let's show the world his love by the way we live. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have been so kind to us and so good, so gentle and loving. And we, oh Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us. Lord, forgive us when we miss the mark or we misrepresent you when we bypass that need that we could take care of or Lord, fail to give when we could do that. Lord, when we haven't been just and acted uprightly. Lord, we ask that you would minister these truths into our hearts so deeply that they become part of who we are and never what we do. Lord, we don't come to this place to just simply do church. We come here to be church, to live for you, and ultimately to die for you if necessary. And so, Lord, we give you our lives afresh and new. Speak to us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.